it's not just about Gretel as a company and what we offer. It's about creating this entirely new category, like I mentioned, that that opens the aperture of people's understanding of privacy and really gets them in that that proactive mindset. Hi, folks. Welcome to HashMap on Tap. Thanks for tuning in today. We really appreciate you listening to the show. I'm Kelly Coleffel, and I'm joined today by Danielle Beringer. Danielle is Director of Technical Partnerships at Gretel. They are a privacy engineering as a service, allowing you to synthesize and transform your data quickly and securely. Danielle, hi. Welcome to the show. What are you drinking today? Thank you so much for having me. I am having a uh, very large, you know, because caffeine is required. <laughs> Uh, in anything we do in tech, uh, green matcha latte. Uh, it's a uh, matcha sourced from um, Belluk, which is a company out of Brooklyn. And I'm very lucky that my local coffee shop called Highbrow um, carries this, and it is fantastic. Where And you're located in which city? Where's Highbrow? I'm in uh, Franklin, Tennessee, right outside Nashville. In Nashville. Okay, Nashville area. Okay, cool. Very cool. Well, that sounds like a great drink. In fact, I like that combo. I don't know if I've had that exact tea, uh, but I did not have one of those today. Okay. I've got, I do have a green tea, uh, passion fruit green tea. It's, uh, it's the peak uh, tea crystal, so I'm cheating a little bit for nice. sake of time. Um, but uh they make a really nice tea crystal, which mm -hmm. uh, I'll enjoy throughout the show. So we'll have to see how these are doing uh, yeah. throughout. So, yeah, thank you for sharing a hot tea with me today. Why don't yeah. you take a moment and take us through your background? You and I met a while back, how you got into technology and your current role at Gretel. Yeah, happy to. Uh, again, thank you for having me. So um, my background is as a software engineer. I am a Florida Gator. I went to the University of Florida and uh, was really lucky to be part of a program uh, in computer science and decision support and AI. My interest really stemmed from uh, biomedical engineering in the way in which uh, genomics and a lot of data was starting to proliferate with the advent of the internet and science and technology. So I spent the early part of my career uh, in the transportation and logistics industry doing internet development. I was a Java developer and uh, bridged on into some IT consulting in manufacturing and ERP systems uh, mid-career. And then for the last eight years prior to coming to Gretel, um, I was the chief data officer for Nissan and really got to drive some exciting work around data and analytics, um, our data engineering practice and data science, um, looking at telematics data, mm -hmm. customer experience support, and really driving how we would assist customers with full use of their data to enhance their experience um, with us as an automaker. And about six months ago, I made the leap to Gretel. Uh, so I'm the director for technical partnerships and evangelism. And I am uniquely positioned at this point to really be seeking some strong partners, right? We are open source. Um, we are driving great outcomes with synthetics and with some reshaping of how people are working with sensitive data and PII. So um, I'm looking obviously at the Cloud providers, we're looking to meet developers where they are with their tooling. Um, so that's looking at data science tools. It's looking at the tools that data engineers and data architects are using, and as well as the um, compliance and risk category, right? So this is an interesting time to be working in data, especially with data sharing and a lot of the ways in which low code and citizen development are emerging. So I get to really have a hand in a lot of those things. And uh, the opportunity at Gretel is one I just had to take. It, it sounds fun. I, I want to ask you, you mentioned uh, starting off from a software engineering, software development uh, background. Mm -hmm. What was your, was Java your initial uh, coding language or start with something else? Oh gosh. Well, no, you know, when you start, when you start in ITIS as a developer, you really get thrown a lot of things. My very first assignment was actually doing Clipper code and Clipper. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it was interesting. Haven't heard about um, Clipper in a yeah, while. I'd ha yeah, I have to go back. I'm, yeah. I'm dating myself. I'm not no, really excited just, about that. But It's really interesting how many, you know, all these waves that we go yeah. through that, you know, something like Clipper that was hot at the time mm -hmm. and now, you know, it's, it doesn't show up really. I mean, yeah. maybe there's Clipper code out there. I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm sure there is. Yeah, Clipper Clipper code. Um, Obviously, you know, Power Builder. Everybody was starting yeah. to get into C and C Sharp uh, and Java, yeah. right? So, yeah, yeah. you know, internet development and 
um, taking analytics both from an intranet perspective, but also customer facing. Um, I've really been into data and analytics, but I also have a foundation in enterprise architecture. So mm -hmm. building a corporate layer, uh, reusability, and you know, it's amazing to see how that has just changed so much. Now with cloud native, um, I'm really excited about kind of migrations and modernization to the, the cloud providers. I think people are rethinking maybe some of the choices they made in kind of their bare metal legacy systems. Mm -hmm. um, they're looking at old code. I mean, shoot, we've all done um, COBOL, uh, you know, Y2K, everybody had to do that painful remediation. Mm -hmm. But I think that um, today with open source, it was such a game changer. So, you know, I really liked seeing, uh, for example, when, when we started to get into big data, um, how we were um, starting to do Spark and obviously using Python and R and, and broadening the, the types of people that could do development where traditionally that would be, you know, you're a classically trained uh, software engineer or data scientist. But now with open source and um, with the emergence of a lot of nuances to, to many languages, it's so much more um, democratized, right, as far as development. Hey, your uh, your time at Nissan sounds really interesting too. How much progress do you feel like you guys made around the telematics data that you mentioned? Because those are some just ridiculously large, but also really rich data sets that uh, mm -hmm. all the autos are, 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 are driving and producing. Did you guys make a lot of progress in, in that just at a high level? Absolutely, sure. So, you know, I think there there's several driving factors there. There's the changes in technology for what's available in the car, right? So the yeah. head unit and the, the data that can be harvested from that. And then there's a definite move from, you know, more of a batch-based mindset um, and processing and workflows to, to streaming, right? So um, I think that that was a huge enabler for uh, improvement in the technology itself, but also in the data products that were accessible and available to users, right? So having a big data environment, um, being able to stream that data in, and then make choices about ultimately how those data products were in turn uh, curated, right, mm -hmm. into uh, a data lake so that they could be consumable by product teams, by sales and marketing. Um, I think we made a lot of progress. And also there's the the visual aspect, right? So mm -hmm. visual analytics, predictive analytics, um, and accessibility to data scientists, right? So that they can um, build machine learning models, start to get into, um, you know, predictive type use cases. I, I yeah. think it was really a, an amazing time to establish governance around streaming data, um, but also to unlock and, and democratize that data sharing. Love it. Hey, before we get into detail around what Gretel does, uh, privacy mm -hmm. engineering, synthetics and so forth, can you give us a little sense for how the how um, it really came about originally from concept to to where you guys are today? I'm even interested in, in the company name. Is anything yeah. behind that that, uh, that we should know? Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, so um, you know, Gretel um, was founded, um, our founders all had a background in prior startups um, with a heavy security emphasis um, and cloud native focus. So Alex, Ali, and John um, had a prior experience um, in taking their startups to scale. Um, Harvest AI was acquired by AWS. Stackrocks was acquired by Red Hat and Eflux was acquired by NetScout. And when they looked at, um, I think the the types of work they were doing around data anonymization, de-identification, and overall security, um, they had the the mindset to to start to do some prototyping and create something and open source it around data privacy. Um, there was a definite need, an opportunity to to make that available. So the prototyping and open sourcing of the foundation of Gretel, which is now our software development kit, our command line interface, and our console, um, launched in beta in uh, 2020. And then we just launched our beta 2 in July of 2021. The name of uh, Gretel um, is a play on uh, digital breadcrumbs, right? Mm. So um, as, as humans and the proliferation of data are together with, you know, the way we interface with our phones and our computers and everything we do, um, IoT devices, those digital breadcrumbs exist. And um, we have to be very mindful of the way in which our personal privacy, the way in which we do business with organizations, um, the way that data is um, is established for safekeeping with people we want to have that data, but also to preserve the rights of people to opt to not have that data saved or to have it yeah. protected. And so the digital breadcrumb concept is where the, the name uh, Gretel uh, originated from. And we're really excited to be um, preparing our uh, products 
to scale, right? To be generally available in early 2022 and uh, teach everyone a little bit more about what privacy engineering really is. Yeah. So GA 2022, let me ask what, so it's a, uh, there's a lot of opportunity in that, in that security and privacy space. What Mm -hmm. product can you put Gretel into a particular product category today, Daniel? Yes, I, I think it's a new one, right? Okay. Um, there's there's two parts to it. So there's I, I see privacy engineering, and and I'll I'll give you some references and examples of, of where it originated from. But it really is a new segment in in a category that that I refer to as privacy management regulation. Um, if you look at the the leading research firms and the general understanding of privacy engineering, it really um, I think a lot of it came from um, a concept that was established. Uh, back in 1995, um, called Privacy by Design. And that was um, developed by Ann Kavukian. And it was around what are the privacy enhancing technologies that are necessary um, to enact privacy controls throughout the life cycle of a systems engineering process or you know, a data life cycle or um, whatnot. And I think that over time, That has now, with the use of cloud native technologies and with calls to action like GDPR and CCPA, it's become a way to approach the software development lifecycle. And so privacy engineering as a discipline is the the natural outcome of maturing how privacy is viewed by people. So I like to see that there is the regulatory component of GDPR and CCPA, which caused um, definitely a more of a, a reactive response to, oh, we have to protect that customer record, right? We want to remove that customer record at the customer's request from our system, um, and they have the right to do so. This is taking that a little bit further, and I see privacy engineering as being a completely proactive activity. And so the category in which Gretel wants to, um, to drive and really be transformative and a thought leader is in helping people understand the necessity for privacy engineering as kind of the next step in maturing um, how um, data is handled, but also to change. So there's like the mindset change and then there's the actions that Mm -hmm. have to happen. The data, I call them the data actions. And I think this category has a lot of different types of companies in it. You have people who are very focused just on the, again, the regulatory and compliance aspect. You have um, organizations that are being very creative for particular verticals or domains, right? So maybe healthcare or fintech. You have organizations that are focusing only on structured data or unstructured, um, or maybe they're very focused on providing um, niche solutions for like test data management and things like that. We like to think that Gretel is establishing you know, kind of a unique positioning with developer focus for our product. Mm-hmm. And specifically, we do it via API. Um, so instrumentation and implementation where people choose to put it. So, um, yeah. Well, I, I was going to ask you who should be thinking about privacy engineering within an organization, but it almost seems like you've answered that for me. I think it's a really interesting point that you made because mm-hmm. you think about, you know, let's say the CISO, the classic CISO organization, that's kind of the protector of the realm, if you will. Mm-hmm. But what you're what you're saying is that Gretel is really advocating, let me push privacy engineering to the software engineering teams, I believe is what I heard you say. It's actually multiple personas. Um, And so, you know, to to give a short list, um, the first one, you know, starting at the top, I mean, let me actually start at the bottom. Um, Developer first, right? So software engineers who are developing applications that need access to data um, that struggle with having, let's say, data in lower environments or subsets of data to even do development Mm -hmm. work. that's, That's what we're leading with. Um, however, there is an ecosystem around that person that is e- equally important. So that would be the data engineer that's curating the data, mm-hmm. getting it ready, right, in uh, development stage production. That is the data architects that are shaping the schemas, making choices about where the data is going to reside, both the transactional data and perhaps the data for analytics or for use with data science um, endeavors. The data scientists themselves, right, who really are working hands um, in hand with the data engineers. And I think the data owners and data stewards, right? So we know there's going to be governance and workflows within an organization. There's going to be compliance. There's going to be contracts around what data can be shared, what data can be used or not used. So kind of the data products ecosystem. 
And then at the very top, the leadership, right? Who's driving direction in companies for data maturity, for data literacy programs, and for data sharing both internal to the company and external. So this would be the CIO, the chief data officer, the CTO, and to your point, you know, InfoSec or any of the, um, the CISO, you know, people who are strictly looking at maybe post-mortem usage of, of data, protecting this data ecosystem, which honestly is, is a lot of sprawl. You know, if there isn't strong governance, there's a good chance that the, um, the data handling or the data reactions are happening after the fact. Whereas with privacy engineering, again, by pulling that all the way to the front of the development lifecycle before data is even in motion, that really does broaden the group of people and the personas that probably should care more about privacy engineering. Yeah, really spread across the organization. I, mm-hmm. I love I love that approach. Hey, when you and I talked previously, you, you mentioned that that Gretel's really focused around several different areas. I think you talked about synthesizing data, transforming data, labeling, classifying for the for the audience. Can you maybe go through Danielle a couple of use case examples for each of those categories and how Gretel is meant to help? Yeah, absolutely. So I I think the classification and labeling um, capability, as well as the transformation capability, are pretty well understood in the market. Um, These are things that uh, data architects, data engineers, and developers are probably already doing to some degree. Classification and labeling obviously being really the metadata. Um, looking at what are the characteristics of the data, what are the attributes. It's very common for data scientists that are doing feature engineering to be looking at the individual data elements and deciding you know, what should be used within machine learning models. The metadata solutions that exist today, however, often are coupled with um, heavy installation requirements or configuration. There's a lot you have to do in order to really create that metadata pipeline or to consume Um, that type of information. So the labeling and classification that we're looking at, again, available via an API call, can be streaming or batch. It can be inserted at any point in the um, data flow. And that accessibility is the secret sauce. Um, And that's true of any of the three capabilities. The second transformation would be anonymizing or de-identifying the data. So you look at traditional extract, transform, and load. When we talk about transform, this is changing the data fundamentally. So you change a name, you can mask, you can obfuscate. Um, it is reversible, though. And in some cases, it needs to be um, if you have to derive data back to the original values. Okay. That's the, that's the second category. And the third category where I really think our, our greatest emphasis in our um, innovation offering is around synthetics. So synthetics, I'm going to give the example of how I found Gretel, because I think um, when I had a challenge with data, I found Gretel and I I really was um, surprised by how easy um, and how straightforward their approach was to synthesizing data. So uh, in my prior role, we were working in a um, cloud-based data platform that had uh, sandboxes. So Uh we were offering to our knowledge workers, our data scientists and developers, sandboxes where they could do experimentation, they could do proof of concepts, they had the ability to um, have access to data products um, that they were authorized for. But the challenge we had was production data really wasn't supposed to be replicated. There were very strict governance rules in place. And so the teams were struggling with having access to data that looked and felt like the real thing, but they weren't necessarily authorized to do snapshots of production data into these sandboxes. So when I started to research the availability of synthetic data, what um, sparked my curiosity with Gretel was that the synthetic data could be generated easily and it could have the same shape and the same statistical distribution as the original data. So it could be very satiating um, to users that had to have something that looked and felt like real data, but it also could be done to an unlimited volume. So one of the greatest challenges we had uh, when working with data is that our data sets were either um, unbalanced, you know, we had too much representation of one Um, attribute or um, pool of data, and we needed to really have other types of data, you know, represented in that data set. Um, We also, you know, again, this is to reduce bias, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we also didn't have enough. So not having enough data, enough volume of data really kept us from fully testing our application products, our application development, doing user acceptance testing. 
And so the synthetics really provided this kind of interesting pathway to better testing, earlier development, um, minimizing risks by not having people have to have the original production um, sensitive data. And so these, these different types of ways that we could take a synthetic data product and drop it in to the software development lifecycle um, was so interesting to me. And that's really where the light bulb went off for me um, when, I, when I found Gretel. And um, ultimately, I was so pleased that it's turned into something that I can embrace um, in my job function now, you know, being part of the company. Do you feel like when you're talking to uh, clients, prospects out there, Danielle, and just the market in general, are they, when you say synthetics and mm -hmm. uh, will help you synthesize your, your data sets, do they, do they know immediately? Does their mind immediately go to what you guys do? Or is there some level of education and awareness that you're having to do right now? Yeah, I think education and awareness is key. Um, it's why um, evangelism is, is really part of the role that I've, I've shaped mm -hmm. um, with our founders. And I think it's because people's current working style around privacy, like I mentioned earlier, is very reactive, right? Mm -hmm. They, they get a request to redact customer information, or they have a very long list of people waiting in line who need access, and they insist that they have to have the original production data. And what we're really challenging people to think about is what are some ways that you can reconsider your data needs? So the first is kind of data literacy and data awareness around what do you really need? Do you actually have to have a production data set that has 40 million records in it of customer data, you know, and all of their behavior on the internet or all their transactions? If you rethink that first from a data requirement standpoint, that's the first step. The second step is what are you currently doing because you don't have good data accessibility? This is things like manually creating fake data, which people love to do in a variety of different ways. Um, it's very time consuming. It can completely be tied back to the original sensitive data. You know, if, if you can join a couple different data sources, it's pretty easy to, to reverse engineer that. Mm -hmm. So it's not a sustainable, not a safe way to, to be creating fake data. The second is they're using like test data tools that are generating artificial data, but that data doesn't really have any of the same correlation, relationships, lineage, or statistical distribution of the original. So it's really not useful um, if it's meant to look and feel like the real thing. And then the last behavior that we see that we're challenging people to rethink is the sandbox example, like snapshotting large amounts of production data, putting it in lower environments, and then having to really worry about what are the authorization and authentication protocols that are in place? Is it really safe? So when we say, you know, what is your perspective on what you really need? The second is, what are you currently doing that are maybe some dysfunctional behaviors? Yeah. And then the third is offering a better way. And, and one of the things that that is a key part of Gretel's value proposition is showing people the quality of the synthetic data. Oh. So we have privacy tooling and filters that basically show, you know, how we are maximizing the utility of the synthetic data. Is synthetic data good for every use case? No, but for the ones it is good for, we're giving strong guidance and education and showing people how the configuration can be done to ensure that the synthetic data is satiating, that it can be used for their machine learning models, that it can be used for a developer who's trying to prototype. Um, so that type of education is there's the foundational part of privacy engineering and synthetics. And then there's really connecting the dots for people on the types of use cases and the ways that they can rethink what their data consumption is. Really interesting. So if I, if I had to you, you, you gave us some tremendous kind of compare and contrast. I can move mm -hmm. from more of a reactive posture to proactive. I can go mm -hmm. from manual to more automated. I've got an ability to, as opposed to using more static uh, test, test data tools, um, more a, a similar uh, look, feel approach to what I actually have in production today, mm -hmm. uh, questionable, um, maybe questionable privacy or, or, or I can go to a safe and trusted uh, mm -hmm. synthetic data set. And then you talked also about the quality aspect and being able to really guarantee that quality. And, and I mean, those five or six characteristics alone, I go, wow, okay. I don't know that I like that old way. Let me mm -hmm. really take a close look at what Gretel's doing and, and mm -hmm. see if I can 
turn those five or six qualities into a reality. Really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I think the other, the last part of the education is really you know differential privacy because that's that's the mathematical guarantee, right? Um, and differential privacy and privacy engineering, the term itself doesn't necessarily resonate with people on the first read. It takes them some time to to use the technology to to understand the research. And I think that's really the the sweet spot of of the education that we're trying to do. Mm. It's not just about Gretel as a company and what we offer. It's about creating this entirely new category, like I mentioned, that that opens the aperture of people's understanding of privacy and really gets them in that that proactive mindset. So you talked about, Daniel, earlier, the personas, you said software engineers, data engineers, architects, data scientists, data mm -hmm. owners, stewards, and even you know, uh, management level. How quickly, regardless of persona, I guess, how quickly can I be productive with Gretel and really kind of accelerate my, you know, kind of learning setup, all those kind of things? What, what do you expect there or what should I expect as a, as mm -hmm. a Gretel customer? Yeah, so um, from the very beginning, when Gretel was established, it was really important to our founders to um, deliver Gretel as open source, to be completely transparent, and to make it as easy as possible to interact with us. So all of our open source is on GitHub, and we, we offer free developer tier, which means anyone at any time can, can come to Gretel.ai, establish an account, and get up to 10 credits per month for free. Um, as part of our offering, we want to make it accessible to everyone. This is such a critical change in privacy and in taking it to scale that people can be productive immediately. So our console was developed to give people a web interface that they could begin to tinker and begin to look at what we offered. We didn't want um, there to be any barriers to entry. Not everyone is comfortable working with a Python SDK or the command line interface. Mm -hmm. So um, by offering the console, we could give people a chance to you know, give us an email address, start to use the console and take anything, any type of data set, um, you know, a comma separated file, uh, an Excel spreadsheet, tag it into our environment, pull it in, run a synthetic model and see the outcome. And that can be done within five minutes. It's that simple because that is the way that we can really get the understanding out to the market, especially with our beta, right? We did beta one in 2020, we did beta two in July of 2021. I'm getting it out there and having the community feedback. So. Um, part of being part of the open source community is seeing how people are using it, looking at the questions, really getting into that feedback. You know, was it easy? Did they did they have any trouble starting to use the command line interface? Um, you know, Gretel can be run in two modes. Um, you can run it locally because we understand and appreciate that people do not want their customer data or sensitive data leaving their environment. And it can be deployed as a container and it never leaves their site. They also have the option of our Gretel Cloud. So that bimodal offering, but making it as easy as possible to start trying it to us is, is crucial in how we position our product. So in short, five minutes, right? Gretel.ai, sign up and try to run a synthetic, a synthetic model. And you know, we really think that that's the best way for people to start to understand hands-on um, what does it really mean to have synthetics, right? Because I, I think it's hard for people to maybe have a frame of reference for that when this is a new technology to them. What's the, real quick, for those that want to go try this out in this free developer tier, what's the mm -hmm. metric uh, that you're measuring that causes the credit consumption? How do, how do I consume credit? Yeah, so one credit is, is 60 minutes of, of cloud compute, um, the API, you know, calls that are made. So one credit is one hour. And so, you, you know, 10 credits um, per month is available in the free um, tier. And that's a great way for people to do like a proof of concept, to do some experimentation and to start to get a feel for the size and shape of their data and what it might take, you know, in compute um, to run really large data sets through. Okay. Is it, is it measured on a, on an hour increment? Is that kind of the minimum or does it kind of scale down from there or how does that work? Um, it's measured incrementally. So each time the, um, we have a control plane, which is, is basically the orchestration uh, in Gretel Cloud, and that's what is timing, you know, the API calls. And yeah. so it's done, you know, to the minute, to the second. Um, okay, and so cool. those credits, you know, they're just, they're, they're packaged um, per hour, um, but the, the data is, is extremely, extremely granular. 
Okay, we'll definitely link that up in the show notes for sure. So as as you've been going down the path, uh, you guys uh, together, what and in, in driving towards GA, any uh, learnings, any perspectives on getting to that uh, perfect product market fit, or as close as you can, I guess, to product market mm-hmm. fit with all the th- all the really interesting things that you've described out there. You know, I think like I, I alluded to with the feedback, um, we have some incredible customers and prospective customers that have been part of beta one and beta two. Mm-hmm. And when we work with them and we, we really understand what they're trying to accomplish, we dig very deep into their use cases. Um, this is everything from um, a healthcare company um, that is mapping the human genome to um, gaming companies who are trying to mine and get value from you know a proliferation of customer behavior and customer data to um, financial organizations that are looking to decrease fraud and understand um, how they can use the existing data they have, how they can augment that with synthetic data to uh, do fraud detection and do more data science work. So I think the the unique thing that we've we've been lucky to acquire is having the different perspectives from different data domains or verticals. Um, and also having the multiple personas, right? Mm-hmm. So a data engineer is going to give us feedback very specific to the type of work they may be doing with data to create data products. Um, the data scientists themselves are really giving us uh, a look into the challenges that they're facing with training their machine learning models. And so I think the customer feedback pipeline has been essential. Um, we've had some great advocates that are very active in multiple communities, open source communities. And we've even started to elevate for developers awareness that we they can use us and call our API wherever they are. I'll give an example. Um, we did a run book and a live workshop last month on Airflow. Apache Airflow um, is a huge community. Um, people mm-hmm. are excited about the way in which it helps them build their data pipelines, very easy to do. So we we married the two together. We did a, a this, this workshop on Airflow and Gretel, just showing people that it, it doesn't have to be difficult to start to enact these data actions. In our case, the data actions we're specifically referring to are classification, transformation, and synthetics. You know, we'll meet you where you are, right? Are you using uh-huh. a data science tool? You can call us from there. You know, are you trying to do your data work in a workbench or some sort of integrated development environment? You can call us from there. So I think the it's that push and pull and the balance that happens with having that customer feedback loop, and then also really looking at the market. So the ecosystem is very complex. I think there's multiple angles. There is obviously the the data and analytics space, data platforms, um, the cloud service providers, native tooling. Uh, You've got data scientist tools. When we look at the ecosystem, we tried to really see where is the big spike activity, right? Where are there opportunities for us to enhance existing offerings? Where are people really hurting, you know, if they're migrating from traditional legacy systems to the cloud? And how do we help people accelerate data accessibility? Because I think that's the heart of it. Data sharing and accessibility to data is really um, the the challenge here. With cloud native technologies and with people, you know, migrating um, kind of older, heavier systems to cloud native, the development lifecycle goes much faster but the slowdown still occurs within the data life cycle because of the controls and, and ne- they're very necessary, um, but privacy engineering really becomes kind of the solution to that. So I think preparing for GA, we wanted to make sure that we are serving the original persona, which is the developer persona, but that we're also kind of baking into the, the MVP of our, our product things that give those other personas a lift and really help people accelerate so that they're quickly instantiating this privacy engineering discipline in multiple places that have the highest value for them. Yeah, I think that speed and acceleration, just wherever you are in the data space, you've got to deliver that today as a technology, as a service provider, uh, just absolutely critical. Um, You guys also just switch gears. By the way, how is your matcha? It is delicious. It's still hot. <laughs> it's wonderful. Good. And it's it's providing ample caffeination for me. So that's good. Well, I'm fascinated by your story. I'm almost out. I don't have a refill. So I'm going to try to nurse this last <laughs> maybe eighth of a cup, it looks like, uh, through the rest of the show. Perfect. So Danielle, switching gears just a little bit here, um, would like to get your perspectives and thoughts on the business model. You guys raised a seed round and then a series A, somewhere in the neighborhood of 15, 16 million over the last couple of years. 
give us a sense for where Gretel is today. Where do you see things going? And I'm going to leave this really open-ended for you. You can talk about customers, talk about ongoing funding, talk about you know, where you're focused in on growth, employees, uh, how ARR is doing, all those kind of things. Where are things going with Gretel? Yeah, I'm actually really excited to be here today because we have just announced our um, close of our 50 million Series B funding round. Um, this is an incredibly exciting time for us and all of our founders and team members. Um, we're at 20 employees right now uh, and growing very quickly are really, really happy because this, this gives us the ability to advance our mission and bring privacy by design to developers, to knowledge workers, to data scientists, software engineers, and anyone that's in the, the privacy um, data ecosystem, right? So for us, that is doing training and education and really looking at how we advance privacy engineering and the understanding of privacy by design for everyone. We're seeing an incredible adoption um, in the community and in our open source and interest in what we're doing. We've had more than 70,000 downloads of our synthetics wow. library and a 500% jump in the number of users over the last year. All yeah. of this is as we approach general availability, which will be in early 2022. So I think we're cultivating this uh, environment where we're getting that feedback loop from our early uh, beta users and our potential customers. We're looking at what are the product features that are most important to everyone around synthetics, as well as our classification and transformation, and ultimately creating a fantastic product that we think is going to add immense value in the market. Um, it really is a new sector, and I think it's something that um, we're so passionate about, and this really makes it something that we can take to scale. So I'm so happy to share that with you today. No, that's awesome. That's great timing. I mean, first of all, congratulations on the Series B. That is a tremendous round, and it sounds like based on where you guys are going, that's going to fund engineering growth. It's going to fund go-to-market growth. Sky's kind of the limit at the moment. Absolutely. Um, we've got our open beta program. Um, it's available for people to use immediately at no cost. And we're also growing our team. So we would love for people to look, look at Gretel.ai, look at our documentation, try um, using our capability. And also, if they're interested, we are recruiting. We're going to be growing and we want to find people that are passionate about data just like we are. Awesome. So what... Um... So far in your time at Gretel, are, is there something that you could point to? You go, hey, really proud of, of that, that we've done as a company, as a technology, as a community. And, and conversely, that what's been the toughest thing you've had to do so far? I think the um, for me, I mean, making making a change from a Fortune 500 company to a startup um, was 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 really, really interesting. I think that the passion and the the acumen that everyone in the company brings to the job every day is really remarkable. Um, we have a amazing machine learning um, research and development team that is constantly looking at the market, at studies. How are we doing um, from a you know differential privacy execution standpoint, right? How are we doing from a availability for customers that and and recognizing they're going to need some help with understanding the best way to include us in their ecosystem. I think the the drive towards general availability, and we want something that is you know rock solid, highly performant, well understood. That holistic view is something I think everybody on the team um, you know brings to work every day, and and I really love to be part of that. As far as challenges, I think it's it's getting education and out there, yeah. you know, um, helping people understand the necessity for this. We have found that once we talk to people and give them a couple examples that they, they do, it really does resonate with them. But it's also something that I think um, it's it's not a technology that's intimidating to people. So I think it's it's something that multiple personas can understand. We are trying to put it in a way that um, they can look at small cycles, easy ways that they could implement privacy engineering. And it, it's really why the one, I guess, item that I, I think I'm most proud of in the last few months is framing the concept of extract, synthesize, and load, right? Everybody knows ETL. Um, this, is, this is a complementary kind of data action loop we want people to take. You know, if you're already transforming your data, go ahead and mature that to start using synthetics, you know, as an add-on to that. And I think ESL is a term that I'm really hoping takes hold 
and that people embrace, um, you know, whether it's with Gretel or with, you know, another organization to really start to be serious about privacy engineering. So I think the education and training and, and the knowledge sharing is something that to me is a touchstone. Um, and it's, it's really, really important to me, which I guess is appropriate considering I have evangelism in my job title. <laughs> well, that is, that's great. Um, you know, and it's it's such a big. I was thinking as you were talking to go from say Fortune 500 to a startup. I mean, there's there's always going to be pluses and minuses. There's always these things that you look at and go, should I or shouldn't I? Any any advice that you got when you were considering making what, you know, a lot of us would probably be really really worried to do, uh, mm -hmm. never having sort of dipped a toe into that water before. Yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I'm really a, a hungry learner, right? I'm, I'm always reading. I'm consuming a lot of different types of technical publications. Um, you know, talking to a lot of my colleagues, both you know, um, past and present, about you know what is changing in the environment. You know, how are we? Um, what how are customer expectations being shaped? Um, you know, I have two children in their teens. Um, the amount of data that they consume on a daily basis is unbelievable. And you know, and and I think we we are family focused as a company. You know, we we all look at you know how do we look at our own data privacy? What are our expectations of companies we interact with? And so I think one of the things that I I want to make sure we're always doing is really thinking about, you know, our own families, our friends, you know, how, how we are interacting with technology. And so in staying ahead of that, I'm always looking for ways that I can be part of the solution. And so for me in, in going from a big company to a startup, I felt like the ownership I could have to really drive change for the things I was passionate about, that I would have that kind of opportunity. And, and it truly has been that because I think that that contribution um, really allows me to go from, again, very data and analytics focused, you know, managing data teams, um, doing cloud migrations. This is on a, um, a really different lens. But because I care so deeply about, you know, not only reshaping my own skill set and really looking at how I become, you know, kind of the next version of me, this is a topic that is so critical to so many that I feel like it could have such a huge impact. So I think rather than be nervous or concerned, and, and certainly that's natural when changing jobs, um, it was really around, can I get behind this? You know, am I doing something for humanity? And so it became a much larger decision really around the impact I was gonna have on society through my job choice. Very nice. And you guys, uh, I noticed, and, and you may have mentioned this, uh, you guys have a, I think you said a free education series um, mm -hmm. that's uh, produced by Gretel uh, this fall. We'll definitely link that up. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if you wanna talk a little bit more about that or anything else, maybe you haven't gotten to touch on that you'd wanna give some visibility to right now. Yeah, I mean, I think the education and training part is one that we know should be progressive, right? So um, again, a variety of personas are going to interact with our product, whether directly or potentially as part of their ecosystem. Um, and so we want to give them that baseline foundation. Um, what is the kind of 100 level class, you know, people need to take to understand privacy engineering and then building upon that, how do we give people easy ways to use Gretel where they already are. The example I gave was the run book and the series we did on Airflow. And then kind of the top of the pyramid, what I consider the more advanced education and training we wanna do is really, really specific. So maybe doing um, a healthcare case study, looking at a um, geolocation-based service that wants to use Gretel to uh, simulate a larger volume of users in a certain geography. So we want to go from like basic foundational understanding all the way to more advanced skills. Certainly we want to pursue having certifications. We love um, to have developer interaction in our community. So we envision having all sorts of live events. We did our first live event, as I mentioned, um, just last month and really engaging with um, some hosts. So we feel like our community concept is we have you know, engineering, we have our AIML teams, we have our product teams, and then we have kind of the general topics of privacy engineering. Those four different communities all offer something unique to the different personas. So we're gonna start framing our education and training into those categories. And then users, whether they be direct consumers of our products, or again, kind of tan tangential, they can interact with Gretel and you know, read the same articles we're reading, look at the, the prototypes we're doing, see the case studies we're publishing, come to the workshops and do hands-on labs. We wanna have that variety because upskilling 
and empowering people to have tools in their hands around privacy engineering benefits everyone, whether they're interacting with Gretel or whether they're interacting with another provider or competitor. Um, we just want them to have that baseline because I think it's it's really going to be such a dramatic impact on the way people develop applications mm -hmm. and consume data. Hey, are there other companies out there, open source especially, that are, um, you've, you've kind of held up as a standard, hey, these this team, this group, this company is building a community in the right way. Uh, anybody that stands out to you there? Well, I mean, I think I think all of the um, you know open source in general. I mean, there's it's it's massive, right? So we're very involved in a variety of communities. Um, one of the ones that I think is really interesting right now is the um, IA or the AI Infrastructure Alliance, which is a consortium of various companies that want to contribute and really define what does the AI tech stack look like, right, for the future. We're excited to be a part of that. And I think that um, that is a, a good representation of com companies that, you know, they have skin in the game. We are shaping the future of AIML. Um, we know that people are at varying degrees of maturity. Um, some are really early in their cloud journey. Some are more advanced and are already doing, you know, machine learning at scale. Um, and I think the, um, you know, between subreddits and Slack communities and open source, you know, people who are contributing um, to the code base, that for us is is a huge driver for innovation um, because there are use cases we haven't uncovered yet, right? And as soon as those emerge, we want to make sure that um, we are providing new features in our APIs that are, you know, popular, right? So there could be very specific things that come from regulation or come from just innovation in any technology. Like I'm fascinated by quantum computing, right? So that's something that I do, you know, on the side. I love to read about it. Um, I have a past colleague that um, has founded a company. I think following the market and really seeing what people are doing and how they're innovating um, is kind of those those areas we want to plug into um, for future collaboration, which, you know, hence um, my work with partnerships. I'm looking at all different sorts of organizations, not even just, you know, traditional ones that are maybe in the data and analytics or AI ML space, but um, companies that are doing different things to really impart massive changes on data sharing or on the way people operate their business digitally. Okay. Really interesting. Hey, when we uh, we take this one home, would you be up for a lightning round? Quick lightning round. Five easy questions. Absolutely. All sure. right. All right. Let's do it. Uh, technology you can't live without in your role at Gretel. Oh, um, there's two, uh, Slack <laughs> and then uh, Atlassian, Jira and Confluence. I mean, that's one, nice. you know, one, so that's two things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love Slack Direct Connect. That is uh, that is an awesome feature that they they put in. What about uh, so you're in uh, Nashville area, Franklin, Tennessee. Yep. Do you have a, a, either a go to cook at home meal that you and your family enjoy or mm -hmm. a takeout delivery meal that you and your family enjoy? Oh, I love to cook. So um, during the pandemic, I challenged myself to cook some really hard things. Um, I made a beef Wellington for the first time, Ooh. and that is no no joke. It is a lot harder than you would think. It looks so um, easy when Gordon Ramsay it looks, does it. I was going to say it looks so easy. So I, I finished making it, and I asked my son, and uh, I can't say what he said, but it was Gordon Ramsay's. It's delicious. So I, I think I did okay. <laughs> it, it seems I've never... I, I, I like to cook as well. My wife likes to cook. We have never done a beef welly. Is how did you feel confident when you cut it open? It was going to be the right the the level of doneness uh, on the fillet that you I, wanted. I, I did. I did. Yeah. I did. I, obviously, I had a thermometer because yeah. I didn't want to to food poison anyone in my household. <laughs> so so I was very careful. Um, and I was I was that girl. I did take pictures of it. Um, because you know I had it was a lot of work, and I was like, okay, this looks it looks good and it tastes good. Yeah. So what, what was yeah, the how long did it take you to make that? Uh, it took a couple hours because you've yeah. got to kind of pre-prep like the, the yeah. mushroom duck cell. That takes a little while. Oh. Um, it took a couple hours. I, I mean, the are... actual cooking process, it's more prep time than cooking. I'll put it that way. Yeah. That's that's a cool. Did you do that around the holidays or something? Or was this a test I run did. before? Yeah. I did. I did it before between Thanksgiving and Christmas okay. um, because it was a it was a trial run for Christmas Eve and <laughs> it was successful. 
so I did make it on Christmas Eve. Very again, cool. So. Very cool. Hey, do you have a, a favorite spot in the Franklin, uh, Tennessee area with, you know, leisure spot or maybe a restaurant or anything like that that you enjoy? Oh gosh. Um, you know, I'm known for, I have a top 10 list that I oh. regularly give to people that come to visit Nashville. Um, I'll, I'll share it with you. Can it's, you? Um, yeah, a, there, that'd be awesome. I will. It's, it's a variety. It's mostly food based cause I'm, I'm okay. a foodie. Um, I would say my favorite Nashville restaurant is probably, um, gosh, I'd say Ellington's at the Fairlane Hotel. It's got like a Mad Men vibe uh -huh. and the food is outstanding. Um, and one of the clever things they do is they turn their restaurant into Dorsha once a year for Halloween um, yeah. as a joke. And yeah. they do a dinner theater and it's hysterical. Oh. Um, so it's it's really an elevated experience year round. But I love that they also have a, uh, a good sense of humor. Has uh, has Guy Fieri made it over to uh, Franklin a time or two yet? He actually has. You know, he has a he has a um, ghost kitchen here in Franklin. Oh. Um, and he delivers um, and he also has a, um, a new chicken restaurant in Nashville. Oh, nice. Nice. Hey, when you're unplugging from technology for a little while, phone to the side, laptop to the side, anything that yep. you go to for that? Yeah, you know, I love being outdoors and I'm really into digital photography. So, um, you know, fortunate that in this area, there's a lot of great hiking locations um, and lakes mm. and, and just beautiful things to see. Um, I love to travel. I have a travel bug. I uh, just came back from Oregon, which was absolutely beautiful. Mm. Um, that's my, my go-to. Are you pretty close to the Smokies? Um, not really. Um, a few hours drive. Okay. Um, not bad. You know, ten, Middle Tennessee is is really quite beautiful, yeah. and um, the change of seasons is is fantastic. Oh, sounds wonderful. What about last question? Uh, another company that you're watching really closely right now. Oh gosh, um, there's quite a few. I would say um, I think the the kind of unicorn category is so interesting. Um, you know, I'm definitely looking at Snowflake. I, th I think from a, a data platform standpoint, mm -hmm. um, particularly on some of the the current stuff with Snowpark um, and APIs is going to be massive. Um, we're really excited to to pursue partnership with them. Um, but I think like you know Stripe, OpenAI, HashiCorp. Um, Zapata, which is a mm -hmm. quantum computing company. Um, I'm always looking to kind of see what they're doing, right? Where, where are their roadmaps? Where are they headed? Um, I think they all have uh, big impacts on customer expectations and also on technology integrations. Very cool. Very cool. Well, there you have it. Uh, let's see if I can recap this. So open source privacy engineering, a free development tier, focused on the ESL space. I'm going to say, I'm going to start using, I'm going to be one of your, I love uh, that. yeah, one of your folks out there, extract, synthesize and load. Definitely a company to keep an eye on Gretel AI. Uh, Danielle, thank you so much for joining the show today. Thank you for having me. It was great. Yeah. A lot of fun. Thanks so much. Appreciate the tips. I will look for that top 10 list, by the way. Um, will do. Big, big thanks to everyone that listened in. Uh, please send us any feedback or comments. We'd love to hear from you and we will see you soon on another episode. Take care. Thanks for listening to HashMap on Tap. Be sure to subscribe for weekly new episodes and visit HashMap's Medium blog for new data and cloud technology perspectives. If you have any comments or suggestions for the podcast, please visit the HashMap on Tap page on HashMap's website. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in.